dwell within us and walk with you. And so, Lord, as we would come to the scriptures uh, this this glorious morning, Lord, that, that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that there would be an, an impartation, Lord, not of knowledge, not of words, but of your spirit bound in your words. Lord, that you would burn your word upon our heart, that we would not be able to escape it, that it might be like a mighty hammer that breaks down walls. Lord, there might be a flame consuming all sin and darkness. Lord, let your word be as sweet as honey to our soul. Speak to us through your word, Lord. May we be filled with the word of God. This we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. So uh, this morning, like I said, I wanted to talk about the inspiration of Scripture, and I know that uh, you as seasoned Christians will have heard this message many times. Uh, but again, I want to say to you, uh, it's uh, the challenge is not to just hear it again. The challenge is, can you recite it? Can you actually share this truth? If somebody came in and challenged you and said, no, I don't believe that the Bible is, uh, is inspired. I don't believe that the Bible is truth. You know, we're getting to a place in our society more and more where people feel free to challenge Christians and the Word of God. Amen? Isn't that true? We, see, we can see that really happening. And so we need to be able to give a, a, a very a powerful answer when, when they say, why do you believe in the Bible? And so I want to share something with you. I've shared before, but it, it bears repeating. And if, if you... I uh, want to make a, a few notes uh, and, and develop a key chain in your Bible. Um, you'll be able to regurgitate this entire message with just one or two scriptural references. In order to do that, you need to know at least one verse uh, on the inspiration of Scripture, maybe Second Timothy uh, 3.16, or if you, if you prefer, if you don't know any Scripture, write it in the back of your Bible, Inspiration. And then write the, the first scripture that you're going to. So, for example, 2 Timothy 3.16. So when you go there, you can read. You can say, look, God, this is what God's word says. And then in, in the margin, you have an eye for inspiration. And then you link the next scripture that we talk about uh, to uh, it, 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 that's written next to uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. So once you've shared that scripture, you just need to look into your margin and you'll know where the next scripture is to go. It's called a Bible chain. And so you're able to follow a, a theme of teaching just by simply starting at a place that you know, either the back of your Bible or a scripture that you're very familiar with and you want to be able to, to teach this. So I, I hope that uh, you, you will be able to uh, be able to regurgitate uh, this uh, particular uh, message uh, in uh, the days that lie ahead. So, uh, again, the, the point of this message is to equip the saints to do what? The work of the ministry. Hallelujah. And so um, that, that's really what we need to be doing. Uh, if, if, the, if the saints start to do the work of the ministry, how many know that we can take the nation for God? Amen. And so uh, this is how we actually do it. We make chains in our Bible. And, uh, so uh, this is what uh, the Word of God says. So uh, if you've heard this message before and can't defend this truth, you're only a convert and not a disciple. Okay? I, uh, would you – let me say something. I, I may hurt you this morning with what I'm saying, but I, I pray that you would know that I, I love you and I, I would, I'm doing it with the, with, the, um, with the motivation to help, not to hurt in the same way as a surgeon may hurt us uh, in order to help us. And so I might say something this morning that you may take offense at, okay? I, I make no apologies except to say that I say it in the spirit of love. And so what I'm going to say uh, is, uh, is found in the book of James. Uh, so if you can't defend the message of inspiration, if you can't stand up and preach it to somebody, then you are only a convert and how many know that Jesus wants you to be a disciple, Matthias, a taught one, somebody who can actually make a difference? James actually addresses this particular scenario. In James chapter 1 and verse 22, he says this, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. How many of you know you go into the churches, even today, you, you can go to any church, 
and you'll see people listening to the word of God. So we need to make sure that we are not just hearers only, because the Bible says that, that, that those who just hear the word uh, are, are deceiving themselves. Uh, in actual fact, uh, when you only listen, that opens the door to deception. It's a, it's a, Greek, a Greek word, paralogamaya. Uh, paralogamaya. So uh, it actually means uh, to be deceived or to be deluded. And so when we come to, we, we need to be actually uh, taking the word of God. Every time we come to church, we need to be engaging with the word in order to do something about the word so that we can be effective in the kingdom of God. And everyone say, see, the truth is this, uh, Paul said to Timothy, and uh, it's kind of uh, a real truth, because listening without corresponding action leads to deception. Let me say that again. Listening without corresponding action leads to deception. That's what James is talking about. Paul says to Timothy in chapter Second uh, Timothy three seven, he says this: that they ever learning, uh, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Ever learning, they're always in church. They're faithful. They're faithful attendees. They're faithful converts but never able to regurgitate the truth. You could say it that way. Never able to be able to proclaim the doctrines that they've heard. Now, I'll give you a story uh, of my own ex- uh, experience. Uh, when, when I decided uh, that, um, that uh, God was really calling me into ministry, people were trying to push me to take a church long before I was ready to go, and um, I was praying about it, um, and I, I was a disaster. And I thought, Lord, uh, what am I going to do? I, I, I don't know the scriptures. And so um, as, a, as a result of that, uh, I decided that I had to go to seminary and I had to study. And I've shared that on many occasions, how that changed my life. And so it's really important that we, we come from a place of just hearing to a place where we can teach. You know, in another place in the book of Hebrews, Paul says, I, you know, by this time, you should all be teachers, but you're still needing the, 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 the milk of the word. And so uh, it, it's really important that uh, we are not just ever learning, but that we also come to the knowledge of the truth. You with me so far? Mm-hmm. See, truth is more than just an intellectual belief. I, I love this quote. It's not what you eat, but what you digest that makes you strong. It's not what you read, but what you remember that makes you learned. It's not what you preach, but what you practice that makes you a true believer. So we come to church in order to be instructed in the kingdom of God so that we then can go out and be disciples and affect the world by preaching and proclaiming the word of God. Okay, so a true disciple is somebody who is taught and now can go out and teach others. Now, if that's the definition, I'm telling you, you can wipe out probably 90% of the church because they've been taught but haven't come to the place where they can teach others. Is that a fair statement? Okay. You know, I, I read that and this is really what sparked this, as I said, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Americans keep statistics on just about everything. And the latest statistic that's come out says there's a record low. Only 20% of Americans... 20% of Americans say the Bible is the literal word of God. That's 80% of the people in a so-called Christian country who don't believe that the Bible is the word of God. Man, if the church is not in trouble when our beacon, our flagship America in the West doesn't believe that the Bible is the word of God, that the kingdom of God is in trouble. That's why Jesus said, will I find faith when I return? Because there are so many converts and so few disciples. So 80% of America, Christian country, does not believe the word of it. I thought, I wonder what that's like in in New Zealand. So I went and I I Googled the New New Zealand Statistical Board, the last census that they did in 2017. I couldn't find the exact parallel questions that they asked the Americans. But I found some very interesting statistics. This is nationwide for New Zealand uh, in the last census. 
And it says this, in 2017, the National Survey said only 7% of Kiwis read their Bible every day. That's 7 out of 100 only read their Bible every day. 7% of Christians or 7%, 7% of, the of the nation who answered the national survey. So it was the nation, so it would be Christians as well as okay. uh, non-Christians. Oh, so all the people surveyed, yeah. Only 7% of Kiwis read their Bible, 7 out of 100. One in three Christians say they're not interested in the Bible. Oh, Lord, help us. Christians, one in three, say they're not interested in the Bible. How are they ever going to know God? How are they going to grow? How are they going to develop? How are they going to know God's calling if they don't read the scriptures? God is revealed in the pages of the Bible that we need to be studying. Listen to this from the same survey. When Kiwis were asked, what is the message of the Bible? Do you know what the most common response was? I don't know. (laughs) That is a sad reflection on the state of the church in New Zealand. You know, and I think it must grieve the heart of God, to be honest. When when a supposed Christian nation like America or New Zealand has drifted so far from the knowledge of the truth. You know, because people in general... And Christians in particular don't know the word of God. We're seeing the rise of a secular agenda. We're seeing anti-God philosophies pervading our society because Christians can't defend what they believe. I believe if we could mount a strong defense for what we believe, we could actually turn away atheism. That's God's promise. His word is truth. And so we need to uh, we need to become better, more skilled at being uh, at in the Word of God. You see, all over the world, man, we're seeing this rise of apostasy. We're seeing that uh, as a result of uh, uh, this lack of understanding within the greater body of Christ, we're seeing so-called churches that are homosexual churches. You know that they are condoning the things that God condemns. How did that ever come? Because the Christians weren't able to defend their position on holiness. So what's what's happening is we see a great falling away from the faith, uh, from those who believe that Jesus is the God, that believe that the Bible is true. And it's up to you and I to lift up the banner for Jesus. Amen? It's up to you and I to make a difference. So we need to be able to share this word and give proof uh, of why we believe in the Bible. You see, what's happening is we are getting ready for the for the second coming, for the rapture of the church. We're getting ready for Christ's coming for the for the bride. And we're seeing the great falling away, the great apostasia that's spoken about in Second Thessalonians chapter two. That's what's happening. The world is apostatizing just as, as the Bible foretold that it would. This is an end time sign. But the good news is that Jesus is coming soon. Amen. <laughs> That's the wonderful news. But those that know the word of God must be about there gathering in the harvest. Would you agree with that? You know, it cannot be gathered from the pulpit. It has to be a grassroots movement that gathers the harvest. And so to be equipped to be able to do uh, what we need to do is really important. The truth is we're living in exciting times, dangerous times, uh, but thrilling times. Because we know that Jesus is coming in. I believe we're living in a time of the climax of world history. We're living in a time when Jesus is coming back. I believe it's going to happen in my lifetime. I really do. I believe that Jesus is going to come back in my lifetime. It's that close. And so we are living in exciting and extraordinary days. The most incredible days are coming when everything is going to change. The whole world is going to change as the rapture takes place and God comes through his people. Man. It's exciting. We are going to glory. We can say goodbye to the sin girls world. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more sin. Uh, uh, sighing. You know, we are going to glory. 
Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you see, it's really, we need, really need to understand that our redemption is drawing nigh. This apostasy is a sign that Jesus is coming soon. And so we need to look up and pack up because we are coming up. We are going up soon because the, the rapture of the church is at hand. Let me say it right from the outset, my stand, which is really an uncommon stand today in today's uh, world of Christendom uh, was certainly a diminishing position. But let me say, I believe in the plenary verbal inspiration of, of the scripture, the infallible, inerrant word of God. It's the word without error and it never fails. Amen. It's the word. The Bible is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The word of God is the final authority in all matters. So if we come to that place, we need to be able to defend that truth. When people come and challenge us, oh, the Bible's just a dusty old book, it's rubbish. We need to be able to give a cogent, competent answer of what we believe. The Bible is not just another good book. Amen? The Bible is unique. It's set apart from all other religious books. Why? Because of the evidence. The evidence. And I'm going to give you some of that evidence this morning that will help you be able to defend the truth. You see, Christianity is not a blind faith. Some people think, you know, when you get saved, you check your brains at the door because, you know, you've gone into la-la land because you believe in miracles and you believe in things uh, that, you know, seem impossible. But Christianity is not a blind faith. It is a historic faith. So is there any evidence that the Bible is God's word? Can we see a higher intelligence at work in the pages of the scripture? Is, it, is there supernatural knowledge there? That's Thousands of years ahead of its time. And I want to say to you, unequivocally, yes. Without question, yes. You can see supernatural hand of God mentioned in the scriptures. And you can prove that this morning if you will make a Bible change. And so we're going to look at some of the latest discoveries in science. You've come to a science lecture this morning. (laughs) Thank you, brother. Hallelujah. I, I'm just going to look at science today. There is so much that I could look at, but I'm just going to look at science. You never thought the Bible was a science book, did you? Well, we're going to look at it, and it's going to surprise. I hope some of you will be surprised at what we discover. Okay, so we're going to look at some of the latest discoveries in science and compare them with Scripture. The Bible is the standard, not science. The Bible is the standard, not science. Why? Why? How can you say that? Have you read a, 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 an old physics book, chemistry book, biology book lately? If you've read that, everything's changed. We have grown. We have so much more knowledge now than, than we had 50, 75 years ago. Everything that they believed back then has changed. Science is in a state of flux. They're casting out old theories. They're always taking a new position. They propose new theories. They test it. It fails. They remove it. They bring up another one. That doesn't happen with the Bible. The Bible, God says, says it once, and he says it right, and he never changes his mind. And eventually, science catches up with what? The Bible. And so, you know, we're going to see this morning how science constantly changes their mind, but how God's word is forever settled in heaven. Psalm 119, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God has proclaimed, he has spoken, and doesn't change. So, when God says it, he says it right, and he says it the first time, it never changes. Okay, so, Dr. Adrian Rogers, I don't want to... Just okay. Dr. Adrian Rogers pointed out in 1860 that the French Academy of Science, seen over here, wrote a pamphlet stating that there were 51 incontrovertible scientific facts that prove that the Bible is an error. 51 incontrovertible facts. It looked bad for the Bible. That was 150 odd years ago. Today's science has changed its mind. There's not one respected scientist anywhere in the world who would accept or agree even one of these so-called facts that they, that they put out in 19, 1850. In fact, 
God said it right the first time and never changed. Dr. Snelling actually said this, and I'm quoting him. Over the years, the Bible has been rigorously tested for scientific accuracy, and it has never failed. I love that. It's been tested. It's been tried. They've tried to throw it out, and it's been tested over again, and it has never failed. According to Dr. Snelling, I believe he's absolutely right. Not only, he goes on to say, not only is God's word always true, it has proven to be the key to understanding God's word today. Praise God. This is why the Bible, not the not science, is the standard. Because the Bible has always proven to be accurate. You know, we kind of laugh at the guys of science of their science of a, a few hundred years ago. You know, we smile when we, we remember the guys who, that when they went sailing, they went to sail at the end of the earth. You know, you know, that's a really kind of a, a strange thing. Now, let me say to you, they, they thought the earth was flat, so it was possible to sail over the, the end of the earth. But uh, I want to propose something to you. If the Bible were a product of man's ingenuity, if the Bible was written by man, uh, we would expect to find many humorous errors uh, and outdated information uh, in, in contained in the scriptures, wouldn't you? If it was simply written by man, going by, by scientific knowledge of the day, you'd expect that there would be lots of uh, funny statements like, hey, the earth is flesh, or, uh, you know, uh, whatever uh, is happening there. So, uh, but when we examine the scientific data mentioned in the scripture, we find it always accurate. That should be an incredible comfort to us, you know. It is always accurate. Under scrutiny, the Bible alone, and I say alone, of all the holy books of God um, that claim to be God's writing, holds up under scrutiny. However, when the Bible talks about scientific data, the Bible is absolutely accurate. Now we have a powerful defense for uh, the divine authorship of the scriptures. Amen. So we're going to examine some of those things. And uh, if you've made a, um, a, a chain in your Bible, uh, and we're talking about inspiration, uh, next to your margin, I would like you to pick uh, Job 26.7. And you, you will be aware that uh, back in the old days, uh, that men believed that, uh, that the earth was suspended upon Atlas's shoulders. Uh, that was the Greek philosophy. Um, we came, we going back in, in time to sort of comparable dates. The Bible alone uh, said that, that the earth was suspended on nothing. By contrast, uh, we have the, what other religions think. The ancient Hindus and Chinese people used to believe that the earth was supported on the back of the elephants. Okay, and when the elephant gave a shake, that was an earthquake. Okay, the elephants were supported. Okay, well, what's the elephant standing on? Well, he's standing on the back of a tortoise. Somebody asked, well, what's the tortoise standing on? The tortoise was supported on the back of a coiled snake, and the snake was swimming in a cosmic sea. Other ancient writings uh, of holy books don't measure up to the same standard as the Bible. The Bible is unique in its, in its understanding. Let us read what it actually says in Job 26 and verse 7. He stretched out the north over empty space and hangeth the earth upon Nothing. Think about that. When Job said that, that must have seemed totally a lot. These guys were, were trapped. If you had a good camel, that you know you were doing well. They were they were living by comparison in relatively backward times. And and Job says he suspends the earth upon nothing. That must have been illogical. Suspended on nothing. Okay. How does that work, Job? What are you talking about? You know. How does how he must have he was crazy and yet Job said that seems illogical. So how did Job know that the earth was suspended on nothing? I propose to you it was that God revealed to him. This is a supernatural revelation. It's solid evidence that God created the God that created the heavens also inspired the scriptures. Amen. Because it's illogical to think. If you don't understand the laws of physics and gravity, how can anything be suspended upon nothing? Job, what are you talking about? I think he copped a lot of flack from his peers for many centuries. 
channel hangs, hangs the earth upon nothing is impossible. How does that actually work out? So, amazing proof of inspiration in Scripture. Isaiah uh, actually wrote uh, a, a very interesting account in Isaiah 40. So, next to Job 26, verse 7, write in your margin at the great eye and write Isaiah 40, verse 22. Remember, uh, in 1492, when um, uh, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, they thought that the, the earth uh, was flat. Men thought that. But Isaiah actually said this, in Isaiah 40, in verse 22, said, 4-0-22. He sits on the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, and he spreads them like a tent. He sits upon the circle of the earth. When you look at that word circle in the Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word kob, and it actually its deeper meaning means spherical or ball. In fact, uh, Dr. Uh, Harmon says this word actually means a sphere or a globe. And so we, we, when we really understand that the original roots of the Hebrew, means that, that, that God sits on the globe of the earth. How did Isaiah know this? It was revealed to him by supernatural. This is evidence for the fact that there is a God who is able to explain the natural world that we live in. It's also evidence that the scriptures are inspired by a supernatural being, by God himself. Can you say amen? So when did Isaiah write this? Nearly 3,000 years ago. You know, 700 years before the time of Christ. You know, the, the Hebrews were the only culture, any ancient culture anywhere in the world that taught that the earth was round, not flat. How did Isaiah know that? Because God revealed by supernatural one, the God that created the heavens also inspired the scriptures. It's well been said that the Bible is not a book to tell us how the heavens go, but a book to tell us how to go to heaven. You know, it, it, not just a play, a funny play on words. But when the Bible speaks of science, it is always accurate. But its main thrust is not to be a scientific document. But when it speaks of science, it's so that you might know, that, that we might know, that this is a credible revelation, that this is an authoritative message that's coming from God alone. So um, whenever the Bible speaks about science, it is always accurate. It's never been disproved. Now, look at another one. Oh, what a pretty picture. Okay. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 33 and 22. You know it well. Does and it also belong to the chain? Yes, yes, you know, just you every, every scripture. Yeah, sorry. All right, so thank you. So after Isaiah 40 and verse 22, put an eye in your chain and go to Jeremiah uh, 33 and 22, because this again is evidence of supernatural knowledge. Okay, so Jeremiah 33 and 22 says, And as the stars cannot be counted, nor the sand upon the seashores measured, so the descendants of David, my servant, and the line of Levites who minister to me will be multiplied. So God's promising to multiply them to a place where they, they can be counted. Men throughout history have taken an exception to that statement that the stars cannot be counted. And in fact, we have many men through history that have challenged that statement. And I'll just give you a couple um, of people, uh, like men like Tycho, counted the number of stars. And he found that there were 777 stars uh, that were visible to the naked eye. Kepler came along a little while later and he said, no, that guy's got it all wrong. There are actually 1,005 stars. Depending on your geographic location upon the face of the earth, you can see more stars or less stars. But it wasn't uh, until Ptolemy came and said, in, in, uh, a little after Kepler and said, no, Kepler, you got it wrong. You didn't have one of them. There are actually 1,058 stars. So there was this great argument about how many stars that they can be counted. But it wasn't until 1608 when Galileo turned his first telescope to the heavens and said, the stars. Cannot count. <laughs> you know, the star. Who was right? 
The Bible, all along, the Bible was right. You know, astronomers estimate that they listen to this 100,000 million stars in our Milky Way alone. 100,000 million in the Milky Way alone. The Milky Way is our galaxy that includes our solar system. Dr. Grant Jeffrey reminds us that uh, as late as 1915, during the First World War, astronomers believed that our galaxy was the only galaxy in the entire universe. And it wasn't until a man by the name of Edwin Hubbard came along with with the Hubble telescope, uh, with the 100-inch telescope, and began to look further back into space than any man had ever seen. And and he said, man, there are are millions upon millions of of galaxies, not just our Milky Way galaxy, but millions upon millions of galaxies. And now astronomers estimate that that there could be, oh, I love this next slide, you're going to like it. Look at that. There could be anywhere between 100 and 200 billion galaxies. You could spend your entire lifetime trying to count the stars of just one galaxy. You would never get to the end. You would die. The stars cannot be numbered, just as God said way back in the beginning. You know, the Bible was right and science had to change. The Bible said it first and the Bible said it best. You know, Albert Einstein said this. Unobservable space may be a hundred times greater than observable space. So everything that you can see, there's a hundred thousand times more uh, out there that we cannot see. Wow. Not even a computer can count that many stars. Absolutely not. So it's amazing. So the, the next to uh, Jeremiah 32, 33, 22, write the, the, the letter I, and we're going to have a look at our next proof. Uh, and then next to the letter I, write Job 38 and verse 7. So we're developing our chain this morning. Sorry, what verse? Job 38 and verse 7. It says an amazing thing in this particular portion of Scripture. And I just want to uh, share it with you because uh, it, it's practically impossible for any human to actually figure this out in the time of the Bible. Excuse me. Praise God. So, Bible says in Job 38 and verse 7, when the morning stars sang together, all the sons of God shouted for joy. You know, in previous generations, they said that's beautiful poetry. That's lovely poetry. It's talking about God's creation, praising. It's lovely poetry, but it's meaningless, you know. Uh, but, you know, it's actually quite an interesting thing because the Hebrew word for sang is the, the, the Hebrew word renown. And renown means to emit a strident sound. So the stars, like we've been told, the, the stars actually emit a shrill, harsh, strident sound. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You know, God says the Bible in the Bible, that you look at the the, the, he, the the original Hebrew, it says that it emits a strident sound. How did Job know that God, uh, that the stars made a noise? Have you ever heard a star? <laughs> any clue, any hint at all that you could possibly, that Job could possibly say uh, that the, the, the stars made a noise? Mm-hmm. But if you go back into the original Hebrew, it is very clear they made a strident sound. Now, when did, sorry, when did they discover that in science? <laughs> we're getting to that. I'll, I'll do it. Okay. okay. So the Bible says that they, they made a sound. Uh, so it, with, it was only in the recent uh, scientific history that they've discovered that thing called the radio telescope. You know, all have heard of that. And the radio telescope is actually a device for, for uh, tracking and uh, receiving sound waves. And uh, they can identify each star by the sound that it makes. Mm. Isn't that amazing? Mm. Who knew that the stars made a sound? How did Job know that? Job, you're amazing. I'm stunned. So he says, it, it's the, it, the radio telescopes track and receive sound waves. They can identify each star by the sound it makes. Each star is unique and different. 
Even stars that cannot be seen with conventional optic telescopes can be located and identified by the sound that they make. Do you know what the Bible says? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 40 and verse 41, it says, as star differs from star. The Bible says the stars make a noise and every star is different from another star. Man, Job, you're amazing. <laughs> okay, you know, today both sound and light waves are used to catch a variety of stars. In astronomy, there are machines that convert light to sound. Uh, and you will be familiar with some of them. Uh, in fact, you no doubt have some of them in your house. Uh, your TV remote uh, actually sends a light wave, uh, 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 and some of them set them in the sound wave, uh, that switch on your, your TV. So uh, it's, it's able to communicate uh, via the infrared light that it sends. But did you know, if you take, the astronomy tells us that if you take uh, these devices that measure sound waves and you point it at uh, artificial light, instead of getting a, a strident, unique sound, when you point it at an artificial light, all you get is that. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Point, take it away from artificial light and point it at the stars, and you get a unique identifiable sound wave from each particular star. So the stars in heaven make a unique sound. We've discovered that the stars' sounds actually harmonize. If each star is different and each star makes an individual sound, they can harmonize like musical notes. Stars that make music? Job, are you kidding me? Yes. That's what Job is saying. All creation, the Bible says, shall praise the Lord. All creation, stars, make sound, make music. The stars are God's orchestra. Psalm 148 and verse 13. Uh, this is just additional information. It's not part of the, you can put it into the, the, the link if you like. So the last reference next to Job 38, 7. Right eye, and in Psalm 148, verse 3, it says this Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. And here we've got the stars doing it, individually making sounds that harmonize together, that glorify the Lord. Job said it in the Bible first. Stunning, absolutely stunning. How did Job know that? You know, I believe that this is evidence. For the, uh, the supernatural knowledge or divine insight behind the pages of Scripture. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really very interesting. There's proof of a higher intelligence behind the Scriptures because no man in that day had any understanding of astronomy or astrophysics. Okay, next to Psalm 148, verse 3, write another I, and right next to it, uh, Job. 38 and verse 1. Here we go again. Job again, you know, is absolutely amazing. You know? Remember, Job is actually the oldest book in the Bible. In fact, you can go further than that. You can say that Job is the oldest book in the world. There's no day, no book anywhere in the world that updates the book of Job. That's an amazing story. No, it's even before Genesis. Even before Genesis. Chronologically, Job was the first book written. So, um, Job 38, verse 31. It gets really interesting. Job asked the, God asked the question, Can thou bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? I looked at that word influences and I looked up in, in, in the Hebrew. Okay, so Job 38, and verse 1. The question was, Can thou bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades? Or loose the bands of Orion. So that word influences, I looked it up in uh, in the Hebrew, it's ma'adana. Ma'adana actually means bonds. And if you look at your NIV, the, the, the footnote, it says chain. So to bind or to bond or to chain is what that, that word influences mean. Now, Dr. Uh, uh, Barrett actually says, Job is talking about astrophysics here. Did you know? 
with this astrophysics in the Bible. Actually, you start to bring out some of this information with somebody who's trying to back you into a corner and say the Bible's just a dusty old book. And you say, I can prove to you that there's astrophysics in the Bible that will laugh at you until you show it. Dr. Bennett said, the astrophysics of, uh, of gravity is what Job is talking about. Job is talking about the gravitational pull of star systems. Uh, isn't that incredible? Stunning. Supernatural insight. It shows that there is a God in heaven who has written the pages of Scripture. The Bible is truly the inspired word. There is a gravitational pull that binds or chains, whichever word you choose, the seven sisters of the Pleiades to Orion's belt. And Job's talking about that. He said, can you break that bind? <laughs> you can't do that. You know. So what's going on here? Did you know that these are the only two star systems mentioned in the Bible that are held together gravitationally? None of the others are. Only this particular uh, seven sisters of the Pleiades and Orion's part. And, and God is saying, you break that bond? How does that, how does this ancient man know about this? It's truly phenomenal. How did Job know? This proves the inspiration to me that the Bible is divine. That the God who created the heavens also inspired the written word of God. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Have you heard of a guy called uh, Bernard Palissy? Uh, Bernard Palissy is often the guy that's uh, uh, credited with the discovery of the uh, hydrological system or the water cycle, if you prefer. Uh, and he, he actually was a, a, a scientist that lived around about, he died in actually 1590. Uh, he was a French scientist, and he's often credited uh, with the discovery of the hydrological water cycle. Ah, oh, sorry, Matt. I'm so sorry. You only missed it by 4,000 years. Job was there first. Did you know that the, that the water cycle, hydraulic cycle, is actually mentioned in the script in many places? I will, I will just go and mention uh, Job. Uh, so next to Job 38 and verse 31, write your eye uh, if you're making your chain, and you go to Job 36 and verse 27 and 28. Sorry? No, I just asked you. Sure. Job 36 verses 27 and 28. Okay. So it was only in the 16th century when science discovered the, the the hydrologic cycle or the water cycle. And, and it's credited to Bernard Panacy. But let me see if you think that this is a fair description. And it's mentioned also in Ecclesiastes 1.7 or Isaiah 55, verse 10. Uh, uh, Daniel prayed about that earlier on in the service. He, he quoted Isaiah 55 uh, and, and 10. So um, in the spirit, brother. <laughs> but look, look what it says. And I'm reading Job 36. 27 and 28. For he draws up the drops of water. Would anybody argue that that's evaporation? Okay. He draws up the drops of water. We have evaporation, which distills as rain from his vapor. That's condensation in the Bible, which makes the skies pour down Precipitation, <laughs> rain, snow. Drop abundantly upon the multitudes of mankind. Over and over again. The Bible said this first. Modern science took 16 centuries after the time of Christ. Job wrote this thousands and thousands of years before Christ. That's why I say the Bible is the standard. Science is always changing. The Bible is the one that we need to be holding science accountable to, not the other way around. So how do they know that? I really believe that this is evidence that God that created the heavens actually spoke into the pages of Scripture. So God had created the heavens also inspired the Scripture. Okay. I think it's pretty stunning. It's, it's, it's a scientific insight that's mentioned in the Bible and uh, uh, insights that are truly staggering. They defy human reason and logic. It's far superseded the knowledge of mankind back in the, in the days of Job. There's only one possible way that, that accounts for that information is that God gave that to Job. 
I like um, what, I mean, what was Job saying? You can hear the stars, you know, you can see the earth floating on nothing, you know, scientific evidence that way beyond the knowledge of mankind. I like what Dr. John Bennett said. He said, just the last few chapters of the book of Job is enough to prove that the Bible is not of this world. It is extraterrestrial in nature. I thought, yes, I love it. I'm having this. That's going to be my quote from now on. I'm taking it. Man, Star Wars. Andrew, Star Wars. <laughs> I love it. So, so, okay. So, uh, when it, how on earth does Job know these things, that the stars made sound, that the, the earth was suspended on nothing? talks about the hydrological society cycle that, 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 uh, uh, Isaiah talked about the stars without number. It's crazy. But how on earth does he know? By revelation of God. It's amazing what happens when you read your Bible. <laughs> you will discover truths that will astound you and prove the, the authenticity of yeah. science. There is one verse, and it says, God threw some sand in front of the sea, and yes, it couldn't cross, the waves couldn't cross. I think it's also a joke. Okay. I, I find it amazing because it's really true. Uh, sand is very stupid thing <laughs> to, to, to yeah, as a border for water because sand is totally water. Yeah. Water can go through it. Yeah. Know? So it kind of makes no sense to do it like that. But God made it. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Praise God. One more one more scientific fact. Would you allow me one more? Oh, no, love it. Oh, good. Praise God. Thank you. I'm going to talk to you. This one. <laughs> I got my eyes all down. Okay. So uh, right next to your last reference uh, in Job 36 and 27 and 8, write the next uh, letter I, write Isaiah 40 and verse 12. Okay. We're going to talk about the science of isostasies. Now, um, I, I, I sound very brilliant here to talk about science of isosity. I didn't know a thing about it. I had to look it up. <laughs> so, but it's really interesting. Anybody know what the science of isostasy is by, by any chance? Not many people do. Okay. Uh, Dr. Bennett says, this is his explanation. Isostasies is the study of balances between land masses and water and how they affect the rotation of the earth. You know, very proud Rhodesian. And that's a picture of Lake Kariba. Lake Kariba is the largest man-made lake in the world still to this day. It holds more water than any other lake in the world. Uh, from uh, the, the dam wall to where the, 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 the lake starts is only 500 kilometers. That's a big lake. 500 kilometers long, you know. So, um, the, the, how many know water's heavy? You know, when I was when I was in the army, we had to carry water, and boy, then you really appreciate how heavy water is because we we were operating in semi-desert conditions, and so you, you often had to carry a lot of water. We carried two water bottles, and most of us carried a large bottle in our backpack, and it's heavy. Imagine now, five hundred kilometers of, of of water going back that way, and in places that's over forty kilometers wide. This is a massive. Uh, amount of water, and when, when they built it and, and Kariba filled, do you know what happened? There were earthquakes all around Africa as the ground began to settle and subside and rebalance itself. And and that only when when then the settling and the subsidence had finished that the earthquake stopped because this was isostasies in action. This was the earth rebalancing. Scientists say that they are just now discovering in our century, okay, in our century, get that, because the Bible's talking about this, in our century, uh, that uh, the oceans are deep where there are corresponding continental masses. And it keeps everything in balance. In other words, if you have a deep trench somewhere somewhere close by, there's going to be a huge land mass that keeps everything in balance. Uh, Dr. MacArthur, uh, and before I get to that, I'll, I'll get to that in, in a second. But, so let me try and illustrate that. Have you ever driven a car whose tires are out of balance? You know, I remember I got my first car 
and I, I went for a drive and I, I drove down a very bumpy road and I was going a little bit faster than I should have been. I was young, stupid, and you don't look at me like that. You've all done the same thing. Okay. And I was driving down this bumpy road, and it was, I, was dry, I was so having such a wonderful time. Uh, and I eventually got off the road. That was so cool. So I, I'm starting to drive back now. I get onto a, a paved road, a tarred road, and, and I'm driving back. And my car's going, do, 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 do. What, what's wrong? What have I, I've broken my car. I've broken my car. So I said to my dad, what, what, on earth is, uh, what on earth is happening here? So I just kind of go around with you. It's like, yeah, you want to support me? So um, we, uh, do you want to, first or second, or either, either one, go and go first one there, you can go there. Oh, there. So the, the car was jabbering and vibrating, and, and man, I thought I've broken my car. My dad said to me, son, don't worry. Uh, it's just that the wheels are out of balance. And they took it to, uh, to a garage and they, they spun the wheels and they put the balances back on and um, put the wheels back on the car and drove it. <laughs> that was the principle of isostasis uh, in, in operation. Okay. And so, uh, it, you know, the, the same thing is true when you spin a basketball uh, on your finger. You've seen those guys that do this. You need a really good basketball to do that. If there's one that's out of balance, uh, if it's like thick on one side and thinner on the other side, it doesn't spin evenly. It goes like this. And so it's really interesting uh, that you need to have that balance for spinning, rotating things. How many of you know that uh, the earth spins and rotates? Let me just uh, say this, okay? God has made the earth perfectly balanced. If it wasn't, we'd be bouncing around all over the place. We couldn't stand so We'd be jumping into one another and falling all over. Because the earth's not balanced, because it's a spinning body. So the earth needs to be balanced in order for us to walk normally and have a normal life. Did you know we find that exactly mentioned in the scriptures? The last scripture I gave you, Isaiah 40 and verse 12. God says this, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breath of his hand marked out the heavens, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on a scale and the hills in a balance? This is the science of astrosis. God is balancing the earth so that it spins and it's found here you know, nearly 3,000 years ago. It's absolutely incredible. You know, there's so much I could give you. You know, if you're looking at just the scientific facts of, of, of Job, we could look, which we haven't done this morning, looked at this, the expanding universe, uh, that the northern skies are over empty space or that the earth's rotation uh, is, is mentioned in there, that there are springs under the sea. Uh, we've only just discovered that there's springs venting from like two miles deep, that then there these springs that are venting at the bottom of the ocean. It's there mentioned in the book of Job. There's so much we haven't got time to look at. So I'm moving on very quickly. Okay. Dr. MacArthur says this that there has never been found anything in the Bible that is scientifically incorrect. Never been found anything in the Bible that is historically incorrect. Science verifies the Bible. Science, you didn't know that your Bible was a scientific book. It's one of the best arguments that we have when we confront an unbeliever is to share these particular stories. Dr. MacArthur goes on to talk about a very famous man by the name of Herbert Spencer who died at the beginning of the 20th century. And he was given a Nobel laureate, a Nobel Prize for his groundworking work in natural science. And everybody was in awe that uh, they were praising and applauding him and giving him all sorts of accolades and, and uh, money and all sorts of things. And he was hailed as a great man for the discoveries he made in natural science. His great achievement, he said, was this, that you can classify all knowable things in science into five categories. Okay? Everything we know about the universe, he said, can be categorized into these five specific categories. Time force, 
motion, space, and matter. He said them in that order, time, force, motion, space, and matter. This is the 20th century. Do you know that the Bible said it first? <laughs> By now you shouldn't be shocked. Where would you find that? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> you didn't have a very big search to discover it. So what, what does it say in Genesis chapter 1? In the beginning, time, God, force, created motions, the heavens, space, the earth, matter. <laughs> and they hailed him as a giant intellect. Gave him a Nobel laureate. Honestly, <laughs> the Bible said it first. This is an amazing book. It's a love letter, of course, written to, to mankind. But when it speaks in science, it is incredibly accurate, unlike our, our other uh, books that claim to be the Word of God. The Bible stands up under scrutiny. I want to just read you a couple of quotes as I close this morning. Uh, Dr. Michael Gillian is a former Harvard professor. Uh, uh, he, he was an instructor uh, in physics. Uh, he had a PhD in physics, in maths, and astronomy. <laughs> Sorry, Di, he had three. <laughs> Imagine the amount of study that this guy has gone through. This guy is a giant intellect. Okay, Three PhDs, physics, maths, and astronomy. And he was ABC TV's uh, news science editor. And he was once asked uh, during the, the course of uh, a TV appearance, he said, uh, does science discredit the Bible, God, religion, or faith? You know what this incredible intelligent man said? Absolutely not. What is his name again? Okay. Uh, Dr. Michael uh, Gillian. You can, you can Google him and you can get all in. Uh, and it's G-U-I-L-L-E-N. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So he said, "Does does the Bible dis, uh, is is the Bible discredited in any way? Absolutely." Sure. Let me give you another quote. Dr. John Morris, who is the pre president of the Institute of Creation Research, he said, "For in the end, quote, Scripture will stand rightly observed and interpreted. There can be no conflict between science and Scripture. If God created the, the heavens and the earth." He should know how, how, how they were performed. And we find it in the, the scriptures again. So why believe in the Bible? Because of its scientific accuracy. Because of its scientific accuracy. Uh, because it reveals supernatural insights, divine truth that science is only now catching up with. And we've said nothing about the medical science that's talked about in the Bible. We said nothing about prophecy. We said nothing about history, archaeology, or Bible codes, or the transformed life evidence. There is such an abundance of, of evidence that we could use to prove the inspiration of Scripture. We just don't have time this morning. I want to close with this quote from Dr. Jeff Miller. He said, unlike other religious books that claim to be God's word, the 66 books of the Bible which are thousands of years old, contain a depth of scientific accuracy that has never been seen in any ancient writings. He goes on to say, not only are scientific mistakes completely absent from its pages, but the writers often exhibit an understanding of the world that is unavailable by human wisdom or understanding at the time. The Bible is the unique, authoritative word of God. Skeptics mock and ridicule us as believers. But I personally believe that the evidence is powerful and persuasive. Mm -hmm. So if you want to uh, then uh, just close your, your chain uh, from Genesis chapter 1, go back to the first scripture on, on your chain link. And then if anybody ever wants to argue, we can just get scripture after scripture, then you'll be able to prove that we I think some, some other time we, we will look at the prophecy because that's so exciting, you know. I, I have to teach on that sometime. But, uh, you know, I don't always teach. Uh, I love to preach. Um, but uh, I love to teach. So we'll, we'll get back to this at some point. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. This is by It's in a word of prayer.
Father, we thank you for the abundance of supernatural evidence that the Bible is an inspired book that is, contains knowledge far beyond uh, the, the wisdom of man at the time. Lord, this is a supernatural book. Science is only catching up now with some of the uh, things that have been talked about. And so, Father, we, we ask that we would be able to be disciples. Lord, not only taught ones, but those who can take that which has been taught and teach others. Lord, that's the goal that you have for each and every one of us in saving us and bringing us to, to the Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, we, we ask that you would uh, help us to be good disciples and help us to proclaim the truth, help us to be able to defend the scriptures. Lord, we've got a, a, a crusade coming up, and we, we ask, Lord, that some of these questions may even come up by, by people that come to um, that outreach. So, Father, we just pray that we would be your servants. Help us, uh, Lord, not to be uh, those that are just hearers only. Lord, we don't want to uh, find ourselves uh, being deceived. Lord, we don't want to be deluded. We don't want to be deceived. We want to be able to spread the truth, to share with others the things that we are taught so that we can return and teach others. Help us to be a practicing believer. Lord, it's about what we practice that's important. So we pray your blessing uh, upon you. Uh, the, the remainder of the services we fellowship and have tea and have the announcements. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I so enjoyed putting it together. <laughs> let, me, let me just say very quickly, we're uh, coming up, uh, not, not next week, but the week after, we're going to have that outreach. I hope you are praying about who you can invite and have spoken to them at, at this point. I know, I know some people are already, Lois has already done that, so we've got some people coming that have, uh, are not Christians, and that would be wonderful. 